Aren't you glad for God's faithfulness this morning? Amen. Men, remain standing with me if you'll reach for your Bible for our Scripture reading. And hopefully, maybe by now, your Bible just opens to the book of James. As we, Pastor Bruce is continuing in his uh, series. This is his seventh lesson out of the book of James. And we are just 21 verses in. So here, ready to roll. Receiving God's Word. Today our text is James chapter, 1, verses, or James chapter 1, verses 17 through 21. So follow along with me as I read from our text this morning. James 1, verses 17 through 21. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits in his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your word and, and your son who is able to save our souls. Thank you for Pastor Bruce and his preparation. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of James and this as we learn uh, real, real faith and real life and ways to apply uh, your word and your truth and your promises to our lives. And uh, just be with Pastor Bruce as he brings the message. Thank you for his preparation and his leadership. Help us to have open hearts and minds, Lord, and to be changed by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I think you would agree with me that we live in a time of information overload. For example, over 3,000 new books are published every day, mostly from self-publishers. Another example, over 333 billion emails are sent every day. That's more than 3.5 million emails sent per second. Over 6 billion text messages are sent every day. In fact, it is estimated that ages 18 to 29-year-olds send or receive an average of 88 texts on a normal day. And so today, I think, again, you would agree with me, with this, that our world is exploding with information. And if we take the year that Christ was born at the starting point, it took 1,500 years for all the information in the world to double. The next doubling of information and knowledge took only 250 years, and it doubled again in 150 years after that. By the end of World War II, information and knowledge doubled every 25 years. Today, fueled by the internet, it's estimated that information, knowledge is doubling every 12 hours. And so it's no wonder that we have such a hard time keeping up. According to one author, if you read the New York Times newspaper for just one week, you will be exposed to more information than the average person living in the 1800s came across in their entire lifetime. Thanks to the internet, we are, we're now being hit by this tidal wave of information that pours in 24-7, 365 days of the year. In fact, the whole world seems to be just live and in real time, and as a result, we cannot only keep up with it all, but we are so easily distracted by it all. 
As one author says, we look without seeing, we listen without hearing, and we speak without understanding. We are a, a wired up, a tuned in, hyper-caffeinated generation. And so we live in a world today that is exploding with more information than ever before. Now, we can be moved by all this information. We can be moved by what we read. We can be moved by certainly what we see out there in the media, news media, social media, on TV. We can be moved even with what we read and hear and see at our fingertips as it's on our phones. But we're not always changed by it all. Why? Because there is a vast difference between information and transformation. 3,000 new books a day. Listen, those books can inform you of some stuff. In fact, some of those books may even encourage you in your life today. They may even entertain you. Others of those books might even mislead you, but there's only one book that can transform you, and that is God's Word. Referred to as the Scriptures is commonly known as the Holy Bible. It is the book that you hold in your hand or in your device digitally, and so it is the Word of God. What's interesting is the Apostle Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.15 that from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. What writings? The Scriptures, God's Word, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And so while other sources of information can encourage you, can even entertain you, listen, only God's word can awaken you from spiritual death to new life in Jesus Christ. Paul tells Timothy in verse 16 in the same chapter, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness So it is not surprising then that James here emphasizes the necessity of God's word as well as the priority of God's word in our lives. And James does this by answering a very practical and relevant question for us here today. And that question is this. How do we grow in our new life in Christ that began with our new birth by the Word of God. And the answer that James gives us here in these these verses in chapter 1 is that we grow in our new life in Christ that began with our new birth in Christ by receiving now God's Word. The book of James, as we have seen so far in our study these last... As Zach alluded to, seven weeks, we have learned that James is all about living out real faith in real life. And so far, James has been telling us what that looks like in the the trials of life. We've learned that God is sovereign over our trials, and, and God uses our trials for our good. He uses it even for his glory. That is, God works through our trials to make us spiritually mature as we remain steadfast in those trials. We learn that the trials of life, though, can also prompt 
all kinds of temptation within us. And in one of those temptations is to, is to doubt the goodness of God, to, to begin to question the goodness of God. And so James reminds us, as we learned last Sunday, that every good thing we have in our life, every good gift comes from God himself. God is the, the source of it all. And then James highlights the most awesome gift. The greatest gift of all that God has given to us, and that is God is the one who brought us forth to new life in Jesus Christ. And this new life, this new birth that James refers to, was brought forth by none other, in James' words, by the word of truth, according to verse 18. And now James does something interesting here, beginning in verse 19. He turns to the practical implication that flows from this word of truth that he refers to in verse 18. This word of truth that that brought us forth to new life, that gave birth to our life in Christ. When he says in verse 19, and notice it in your Bibles, he says, know this, my beloved brothers. Know this, my beloved brothers brothers and sisters in Christ. And so again, as we learned in the previous in the first chapter here in the previous verses, James is key on us knowing things, knowing the right things. He wanted us to know something about the trials of life and now he wants us to know something when it comes to our life in Christ. You say know what? He wants you to know that just as the word of God gives us new birth, So it's the Word of God that empowers us now to grow in our new life in Christ. That's what James is talking about in verses 19 through 21. That's why James says here in verse 19, let every person be quick to hear. Quick to hear what? The Word of God. That's what he wants us to hear. The same word that brought you forth into this new life in Jesus Christ. And James says, listen, hear this word. Why? So in verse 21, so you will receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. In other words, this idea of receive with meekness is to welcome the word of God, is to to embrace the word of God, is to welcome it into your life and follow it. And to do so humbly. And so James is answering this question for us. How then do we receive God's word humbly? And he tells us how in verses 19 through 21. So notice, first of all, he tells us, he gives us these directives. Directives are just things that you're to do. Uh, Sometimes when you're growing up in your house, your parents give you directives. Now, your mom and dad don't call them directives. They just say, this is what I want you to do, son. And she may say, well, you're to take out the trash. You're to mow the yard. You're to make your bed. You're to clean your room. Those are the directives from your parents. When you go to work, you have directives from your employer, from your bosses, things to do in order to accomplish the purpose and the goal of the company. It's no different here. James has given us some directives to do because he wants us to achieve the purpose of receiving God's word. So what are the directives that James gives us? The the to-do list, if you will. Except this to-do list matters. It's vitally important 
for our spiritual life in Jesus Christ. And the directives here are three things. He says, be quick to hear. He says, be slow to speak. And then he says, be slow to anger. Now, that sounds like classic, timeless advice, does it not? Good advice. In fact, it's the sort of saying you see on an inspirational poster, maybe on a calendar, hanging on your wall or on your desk, or you you see it in a meme on your phone, on social media. It's the kind of advice that should be applied in all of our relationships with other people, right? It's good advice. In fact, how many parents have quoted this verse to their kids? I know I did. Tyler, Jack, be quick to hear, be slow to speak, and be slow to anger. And so while this verse it certainly applies to to our relationships with one another. And while it is certainly worthy to teach our own children, it comes with a context. And the context is James is writing this within the context of receiving God's word. So this is not really about being quick to listen to others It's not really about being slow to speak when you're with somebody else or in a group of people. It's not really about being slow to become angry when someone ticks you off and offends you. This is more about, primarily about, how we receive God's word. That's the context. And James gives us three directives or instructions. In other words, he tells you, this is three things I want you to do in order now to receive God's word. First of all, he says... And I'm going to change the wording so we might put it in an applicational sense. Be ready to listen with focused attention to God's word. Be ready to listen. Be ready to hear with focused attention God's word. The fact is you cannot receive God's word without first hearing God's word. So the first thing James says is be quick to hear. In other words, the idea is to be ready to listen with focused attention to God's word, quick to hear. It implies an attitude on our part of this eagerness and readiness to hear the word of God. Now, this was super important in the early church. And the reason for that is because the Bible as we know it today, as you hold in your hands, as as we have our pew Bibles and what you open up on your your devices, your phones, is, has not been completed back then when James is writing this letter to these, these scattered Jewish believers who were enduring persecution and trials. So their Bible back then was still being formed. And these New Testament letters, as they are called, letters that we know from like John, like the Apostle Paul, uh, even like James and even Peter, Listen, they were circulated. In other words, people would actually carry these letters to the churches, and they were circulated among the early church back then. And somebody would stand up in front of the the congregation and actually read these letters aloud for the new believers to hear the Word of God. These letters written from God's appointed authors who wrote God's Word for us. So you can imagine how critical it is for these new believers to be ready to listen with focused attention to God's word. Quick to hear. Again, we already said it refers to this attitude that's ready to listen. And so 2,000 years later, listen, James is still putting his finger on a great need in our churches today. 
Psychologist Paul Turnier has said it this way. Listen to the conversations of our world. Whether it's between nations or between couples, they are for the most part, and he calls it this way, they are dialogues of the deaf. Dialogues of the deaf. What a great way to describe all the conversations happening in our culture today. And so what you have is billions and billions of words are produced every second, but only a fraction of those words is truly being heard. All of us have conversations in which we are speaking, but it's like nobody is listening with focused attention. So why all of these dialogues of the deaf, especially in our generation today? Well, Ken Ramey offers this explanation, and I quote, he writes, the media saturation of our society has a dulling, deadening effect on us. We are bombarded by visual stimulation, which conditions and diminishes our ability to listen. Western society today has become an eye-oriented rather than an ear-oriented culture, and as this tendency to depend upon the eye has grown, our ability to listen has atrophied from disuse. Now, while this is certainly true, it's a problem in our culture today. The problem that James is actually putting his finger on, though, is as old as the human heart. For example, Jesus would constantly stop and ask the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees and the scribes, this question, have you never heard? Have you never read? It was a rhetorical question. The obvious answer was yes, they had heard, they had read in reference to the Old Testament law, but they were not listening to what they had heard and had read. Their problem wasn't that they were hard of hearing. The problem was they were hard of listening. The writer of Hebrews, chapter 5, verse 11, actually has a, he actually calls this something. He calls it being dull of hearing. And let's be honest, we struggle with this same dullness, do we not? Every one of us here, we struggle with the same problem when it comes to listening with focused attention to the Word of God. Pastor and author, he's also, he, he wrote a commentary on the book of James, Kent Hughes, he says, the prayer of the modern person today is, Lord, speak to me, and you have 60 seconds. That's, that's pretty much, he nailed it. That's kind of our attitude when it comes to listening to God. God, I, I can give you 60 seconds of my life this morning. Speak to me. Get it over with. James is reminding us that we need a different attitude when God speaks. We need an attitude that's ready to listen with focused attention. Why? Because God, listen, he is a speaking God. We immediately learn this in the book of Genesis chapter 1. How did the world come into existence? Creation. God spoke it into creation. So from the very beginning, one of the things we learn about our God is he is a speaking God, and he speaks to his people. In the Old Testament, he spoke through his, to his people through his prophets. Today, he spoke through the authors of the New Testament, and now we have the revealed word of God spoken to us, recorded for us. We need to listen to it. And so God speaks to us through his word. And so every time now today that we open up God's word, whether it's a paper version, a book version, or a digital version, 
Listen, whether we open it up here corporately, whether we open it up personally at home, it matters that we listen to how God speaks to us and what he wants to say to us. It matters that we listen with focused attention. God wants to speak to you. God wants you to hear from him. And the question is, are you ready to listen? Is your heart open to the word of God and what he has to say for you? Second, James says, be hesitant to speak in reaction to God's word or even reluctant to speak in reaction to God's word. That's what James means when he says be slow to speak. Now, that slow to speak does not mean be slow to speak. It's not what James means there. All right? In this context, slow to speak means you are slow to speak in reaction to God's word. That is, you are slow to react to God's word when you don't like what it says. You're slow and even hesitant. You're reluctant. You're going to hold back in reacting to God's word even when you don't like what it says and you want to justify when it confronts you and challenges the way you are living. As Warren Wiersbe writes, frankly, you may not like what God's word is saying. You may want to argue with God's word, if not audibly, in your heart and mind. And so James now, writing to us, because he, he, he's, he's, he's identified the struggle for all of us today, just as it was for these Jewish believers back then. He's identifying the struggle in the heart, in our attitude. And he's saying, listen, be humble as you approach God's word. Not coming to God's word with your defenses already up. You ever talk to somebody like that? You go talk to them and you can immediately sense, man, they got a wall. Their defenses are up. And it pretty much doesn't matter what you're going to say. They're not listening. Because the defenses are up. And normally when your defenses are up, Your mind is already thinking about countering everything that's said. It's no different with the Word of God. When we hear it, we don't like what it says because it's challenging us, it's confronting us. And James says, listen, be humble, not coming with your defenses up, which leads almost always to then arguing with God in His Word. How often do we approach God's Word talking and not listening? How often do we come to God's word thinking, here's what I want it to say? How often do we come to God's word looking to justify ourselves, our way of living and rationalize our sins? We're not quick to hear. We're we're not slow to speak. Instead, we are unwilling to listen. And more than that, we are anxious now to argue with God in his word instead of listening to God's word In a sense, we are now resisting God's word. So mark this down. If you're arguing with God's word, and most of the time we don't argue verbally, we argue within our minds and our hearts. The arguing goes on within us. And if you are arguing with God's word, then mark it down. You are not listening to God's word. 
when God's word confronts you. Listen, James is pleading with us here. He's saying, listen, just pause. Hit the pause button. And think about what God is saying first. Reflect on what God is saying before you rush to judgment and start arguing with him. Because if we're not careful, here's what will happen. We will start telling ourselves things that deceive us. And James has already warned us, as we saw last Sunday, don't be deceived. In fact, James will will capitalize on this thought. They're like two bookends when it comes to the word of God. He just told us, don't be deceived. We'll see next Sunday because he says the same thing in the immediate verse after this, verse 22, about deception. In particular, self-deception. We are very self-deceived. And we will begin telling ourselves stuff to where we are deceiving ourselves into ignoring God's word, rejecting God's word, and most of all, tragically, most of all, we'll even begin to redefine God's word. So it fits our narrative. So it fits our way of life. Spiritual maturity, on the other hand, and this is what James wants from us as believers. That's what he's getting at. Listen, how you grow in your new life is through the word of God. And so he's keying on spiritual maturity. That is live out real faith in real life. That's spiritual maturity. And spiritual maturity is now demonstrated, and it's even gained when we are, first of all, quick to listen to God's word, and second, when we are slow to speak against it, especially when facing the trials of life. The trials of life, as we have already seen through these first seven messages, six messages, whatever, Boy, they seem to just twist people upside down. It's like all common sense, all spiritual maturity can go out the window in a flash when the trials hit. Just consider Job. Job of the Old Testament. Most of you are familiar with Job. Do you realize, this is what the Bible says about Job in verse 1, chapter 1 of Job. He was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. In other words, this is one righteous dude. And all of a sudden, he is thrown into a trial like you've never seen before. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. Most of all, he lost his family. All seven of his children died tragically. And so Job's friends come along. But before his friends, his wife came along and basically just told Job, just curse God God and die. What an encouraging wife she was, right? Job, just curse God and die. This is what you got from God. This is what God's given to you. Why persevere through this trial, in other words? Job's friends now come along, and they start talking and telling Job that, Job, listen, your trials have to be because there is some sin in your life that you're not aware of yet. Let's begin to dig it out and find it so that you can confess it. Job talked to God, too, primarily with the attitude, God, you need to explain yourself to me. Why am I going through these trials when I am a righteous dude? And then God shows up, and he speaks to Job, not to explain to Job everything that's going on in his life, certainly not to give his justification for why he allowed trials in his life, but instead to simply reveal his sovereignty over Job and his trials. And God says this to Job in Job 40, verse 2. He says, 
Job, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? Are you God's critic? But do you have the answers? Job, a little humbled by that, he simply replies to the Lord in verses 4 and 5. He says, oh, Lord, I am nothing. I'm nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. Job learned this lesson. When you're in the trials of life, we here this morning, we need to take a lesson from Job. That is, we need to simply be ready to listen to the word of God, speak to us, and slow to argue with God and his purpose for your life and why he allows stuff to happen to your life, especially these trials that are hard and difficult and sometimes painful. And then thirdly, the last directive, last thing to do, James says, be slow to get angry at God's word. Now, hopefully you can begin to see the digression here. It begins with not listening to God's word. It proceeds to arguing with God's word. And now it simply ends here with anger at God's word. And it's this anger that completely shuts down the process of receiving God's word. Now, this word anger, it does not refer to this explosive outburst of temper like some of us may be accustomed to, but rather it refers to this inner resentment, even this inner bitterness that seethes and smolders, often unnoticed by others. And so it dwells within the heart. And again, the context of this anger is not at somebody specifically or a group of people even particularly. Rather, the anger is directed at God and his word, Why? Because most of the time, our hearts are not fully surrendered to God. We're not fully committed to God. We haven't given him our life. And so we're kind of living half in, half out on living out faith in real life. God's kind of like, well, God, I'll kind of try you. You're an option. And if it works for me, then great. But when trials come, I don't know about that persevering part. So why would Christians get angry with God? And by the way, that certainly happens, does it not? Happens all the time. Where Christians get angry with God. Most of the time we don't express it, except to maybe somebody else. We may confide that way. Most of the time it resides in our hearts and minds again. And here's... A few reasons, among numerous reasons, why we get angry. Christians may get angry with God because, well, he didn't provide the way they wanted God to provide. God didn't meet their expectations. Some of God's people get mad at God because he didn't heal them or he didn't heal the person they cared about. In fact, God didn't intervene and they even died. God, why did you let my loved one die? Some followers of Jesus get angry with God because God let bad things happen to them. Well, and that's not fair, right? Because we're all about fairness. That's our attitude. We want everything to be fair. No, we don't. If we wanted fairness, we would be in 
we would be in trouble. We would be in trouble. Remember, salvation is by grace because we did not deserve it. Some Christians get angry with God because they blame God for how one of their parents mistreated them. Or they blame God for how one of their kids turned out or, or some other dysfunction in their family that's now blowing up in their family. God, how could you let this happen? We, I took my kids to church every Sunday. How could they turn out this way? Some believers get angry with God because God doesn't answer their prayers the way they wanted. Some believers get mad with God because from their perspective, God doesn't seem to care. God, if you cared, you wouldn't allow me to have to endure this trial. So mark this down as well. An angry spirit is never a listening, teachable spirit. And that is what's required, James says, to receive the word of God. You see, those who live in reverse of what James says here. In other words, you're living in reverse of these directives. You're not, you're not doing these directives will not grow in their new life in Christ. So have you reached a sticking point in your spiritual life? Perhaps the reason is because you're hung up on one of these directives. Are you being quick to hear? Are you being slow to speak? Are you being slow to anger? Notice the rationale for being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. James actually tells us here's why this is important. Here's the reason for this. Number two is he says anger doesn't produce the righteous life that God desires. It's as if James is, is kind of tapping on us on the shoulder, and he's telling us here in verse 20, look what he says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, be aware here, James is not using the word righteousness in the same way that the Apostle Paul does, for example, in the book of Romans. In a legal, justified sense, such as uh, even in Ephesians and the rest of his books, righteousness that God declares on us through our faith in Jesus Christ. That's not the kind of righteousness James is talking about here. Rather, James is referring to the kind of righteous behavior. In other words, think of righteous living that is pleasing to God because we, we are in a relationship with God, because we have been declared righteous already. Now James is like, live it out now. But we struggle with that. We don't always live out that. But our anger, James is telling us, is not effective in producing the kind of actions and the kind of attitudes that God desires. In other words, that pleases God. Anger doesn't produce any of that, and here's why. Anger is a primary expression of pride in the heart. Anger is a primary expression of pride in the heart. So when you see angry people, the, 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 the deep-seated issue is a heart issue, and it's pride. And that anger does not produce behavior that is pleasing to God. Now, if we're honest, I'm sure you will admit with me, as I admit to you, that our anger most of the time is motivated by self-importance. 
It's even motivated by self-assertion. And the reason is because of the pride in the heart. We, we, much of our anger, especially in our culture today, so much of our anger is, is what we feel when we don't get what we believe we deserve. It's, it's, it's what we feel when we don't get what we think that we are entitled to. And the reason we think we should get that, the reason we think we're entitled to that, is because we think so much more of ourselves than we really should. There's pride. And such anger, James says, it stands as a barrier. It's like an obstacle to growing spiritually. For anger, here's what anger does. When it's in the heart and it's not dealt with, is it hijacks the process of receiving God's word. And if you're not receiving God's word, you can't grow in your new life in Christ or even your old life in Christ. So remember, James is writing to what audience? James is writing to an audience of believers already. And these believers are facing trials in life. Trials are hard. We've seen that. Trials are difficult. Trials a lot of times are even painful. And that's when we're tempted to get angry at God. And James is telling us here, these are the directives. Be slow to get angry at God. Listen, instead, allow God time to accomplish his good purpose in your life. Allow God to work through the trial. Allow God to work in your life before you just write him off in anger. So now we come to the command. James first gives us the directives. Here's the to-dos. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And then he gives us the reason for it. It's because that anger that's, that's smoldering within your heart, listen, that does not produce the, the actions and the attitudes, the, the behavior, the righteousness of God. And now he gives us the command. This is the heart of it. The reason he gives us these directives is because he wants us to follow through on this command. And the command is this. Put away all filthiness and receive God's word. Now, it's actually a two-part command. You may figure that out. The first part is negative. When James says in verse 21, look at it. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And once we've done this, we're now ready for the positive part of the command in the rest of verse 21 and receive with meekness, and that word meekness is just humility, humbleness, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So let's connect the dots here. We need to see this in context of the book of James, in in specific context of what James just was writing in these verses. So what James is saying here is this, an unwillingness to listen to God's word an unteachable spirit that kind of argues with God's word, and an unrighteous anger toward God's word, James is calling that filthiness. It's filthiness. And that word filthiness, on a a broader sense, it refers to any sort of moral defilement or moral evil. Therefore, if we wish to receive God's word... If we want to benefit from God's word, James says we must put away all filthiness. So this filthiness, it's very broad. It's all any sort of moral defilement and moral evil, but 
specifically, James is honing in, it includes this unwillingness to listen to God's word. This unteachable spirit that that tends to argue with God's word and this unrighteous anger toward God's word. And James says we need to put that away. Put away all the filthiness that dwells within your heart. You say, well, how do I do this? Well, this phrase, put away, it's actually a phrase that the Apostle Paul picks up on. Paul uses this phrase numerous times, like in, uh, in when he writes in Ephesians chapter 4, 22 and 24. Paul also alludes to it in Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 of putting away. And it's actually the idea of putting away or taking off dirty clothes, physically taking off your dirty clothes and putting on clean clothes. That's the idea of putting away. Now, if you're a teenager like my son was, I'm going to tell you which son. Tyler will tell you after church which son. One of my sons just took off his clothes and threw them on the floor. I, I, I put them away. No, you're getting them on the floor. So you get the idea here. It's physically to take off the dirty clothes, put on new clothes. And so the dirty clothes, in other words, is a metaphor for the way you used to live before God brought you forth to new life in Jesus Christ. These dirty clothes include this unwillingness to listen, this unteachable spirit, and this unrighteous anger. And James says we need to put that away. We need to take that off. Put it away. Why is it so critical that we put away all this filthiness in our lives or our hearts? Here's the reason why. Notice this in your notes on the screen. Because filthiness in our lives hinders us from hearing and receiving God's word in our hearts. Now, what's super interesting about this is that the root word here for filthiness was actually used by the Greeks to refer to wax in somebody's ears, which fits this context perfectly. Because when you have a lot of wax build up in your ear, it's, well, it's hard to hear. It's blocking your hearing, that wax buildup. I personally know this from experience. I, I've had to go to the doctor's office on numerous occasions and have them clean my ears out of the wax buildup. And this, almost, this happens almost every time that we go on vacation in the summertime to the lake. And we'll rent a boat and we'll go water skiing. And when you're water skiing, especially slalom skiing, you start out in the water and you go down under the water before you come back up on top of the water. And the boat's pulling you full throttle. And you're hanging on. And what happens when you're under the water, all that water's coming up over you. And it's, it's, it's just drenching your ears. And it's packing in that wax buildup. And so by the end of the week, I'm Darla's like asking me a question, and I'm just like, what? Did you say something to me? Now, for a while, it's great because I have a built-in excuse, so you know. But nonetheless, my wife is like, Bruce, you need to go to the doctor and clean your ears out because you can't hear. And she's right. I can't hear. In fact, I sound like I'm in a tunnel, and it's annoying. It's irritating. And so I have to go, and when the doctor goes, they, they clean your ear out, and all of a sudden, it's, it's pretty nasty, this wax falls out of your ear into this little bucket, and you see, and it's like, oh, my word, I can't believe all that filthiness in my ear. But the beauty of it is, all of a sudden, I can hear it again, and it's wonderful. It's like the whole world opens up to me. And in the same way, James is saying, 
We as believers, sometimes, we need to clean out our ears. we got to get rid of the filthiness in our lives because it's clogging up our spiritual ears and it's hindering us from hearing God's Word. And notice something else that James does here. Unlike the Apostle Paul, James does not tell us to put on certain virtues. Paul always, when he uses this phrase, uh, dirty clothes or put away, it's put away, put on, put off, put on, put off, put on. James uses the same phrase, put away or put off, but he doesn't say put on. Instead, what does James say? He says just receive with meekness the implanted word. In other words, welcome it into your life with an open heart now. Hear it fresh and anew. This is how transformation occurs. The implanted word takes root in our hearts and transforms us. This implanted word, James says, it brings conviction of sin. It brings about assurance of our forgiveness and our salvation. It instills faith. It creates new life so that good fruit grows and remains. And yet, James says this will not be easy to do. Why? Because notice what else he says in verse 21 here. He says, wickedness is rampant. In other words, that wickedness abounds and it grows rampantly in our lives. And this is why James hones in and emphasizes the priority, the importance of God's word in our lives. Notice this in your notes. God's word is our weapon against rampant wickedness. And by the way, this word, if you're a believer in Christ, it's already been implanted in you. It's already been implanted by God himself in your heart. That's what brought forth new life in Jesus Christ. And so James is picturing your life as a garden in which God's word has been implanted. God planted his truth in you. That's how you became a believer You heard the truth. James calls it the word of truth. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ about Jesus and your sin. You believe the truth about Jesus' forgiveness and grace, and as a result, you now place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. And while we are free from the penalty of our sin, aren't you thankful for that? Why? Because Jesus already paid for the penalty of our sins with his death on the cross once and for all. It is finished. It is paid for. So we don't have to pay for it. Why? Because we're trusting in Jesus Christ. So we're we're saved from the penalty of our sin. It's what James, though, calls we still have to deal with the presence of sin. What he calls this rampant wickedness. And James says God's word is our weapon against this rampant wickedness wickedness that we still have to deal with on a daily battle. Now, perhaps an illustration will help here. Think of it this way. I, for many years now, have hired Bill Duran. Bill Duran, sitting right back there, is the owner of Law & Order. And the reason I have hired Bill Duran for many, many years As the owner of Law in Order, I should say Lawn in Order, not Law in Order, Lawn in Order, is because I hired Bill to do something that I don't want to do, and that is to wage war against the weeds in my yard. 
the clover, the dandelions, the crabgrass, the chickweed that want to call my yard their home. And so Bill comes over on a scheduled yearly basis, four times a year, and he applies all these chemicals in my yard. It's wonderful. In the war against these weeds. And I'm so happy to report that thanks to Bill's work in the summer rains, my yard has never looked so good right now, never been so green as it is this year. But as you know, there are some summers where the weeds are just out of control. Out of control. And if you haven't done the pre-work over the years of staying on top of it, the weeds are going to be really out of control in your yard. And now you're playing catch-up. Thankfully, there are times when the weeds are out of control. They're not too bad. And because we've stayed on top of it, Bill will say, yeah, it's just been a bad year for weeds, but we're staying on top of it. Aren't you thankful for that, Bruce? I'm like, yes. And so it is with sin. Sometimes that sin, that, that rampant wickedness can be out of control in our lives, and it's rampant, and so we must constantly stay on top of it. In other words, we have to constantly wage war against it, and our weapon in this war is the very word of God, which James says something in the last phrase, which is able to save your souls. Whoa. So get this. Notice what James is saying here. This is the power of God's word here. God's word saves our souls from the day of salvation through eternity. So understand the saving work of the word extends far beyond the day of your salvation. It extends all the way through eternity. Remember again, James is writing to believers, people who are already saved. And so James is not talking about being saved for heaven in this context. Rather, being saved through your life in Christ. You say, saved from what? Saved from misery. Saved from guilt. Saved from sorrow. Saved from the consequences of your sin, of your disobedience to God. And James says, this is the power of God's Word. It saves your soul from the day of salvation all the way through eternity. And so no wonder James pleads with us to receive the implanted word of God. In other words, listen to it. And to receive the word that's already been in your heart and to receive it humbly. How? James tells us how to receive it. Be quick to hear. Be slow to speak. Be slow to anger. In other words, don't underestimate the power of God's word in your life. Do you realize this word has the power to give us new life in Jesus Christ? That's what he talked about in verse 18. And now he says that it also has the power to save your souls from the moment of salvation all the way through eternity. And all of this raises a a super important question for every one of us here this morning, and that is, are you receiving God's word humbly? From the young, to the middle-aged, to the elderly. Are you receiving the word of God? Here's the deal. In our relationship with the Lord, We are to be listeners first 
humbly receiving his word. So let me ask you a question as a follow-up to that, and we'll be out of here. What place are you giving to the word of God in your life? Right now. As you, as you look to last week in your life, what place did you give God's word in your life last week? What plan do you have to give God's word priority in your life this week? By the way, one of the evidences of the new birth and new life in Christ is that you, you will have a hunger and you will have a thirst for God's word, to receive it. It's part of the Christian's internal hardwiring. Because of our new birth, we've been born again, and the Holy Spirit indwells us. It's part of the internal hardwiring now within us to crave the word of God. Because the word has now been planted within us. And so one of the ways a person knows they are confident that he or she is born again is that he or she has a hunger for the Word of God. It's food for their soul. And they know they can't survive without it. Now the struggle for all of us here this morning is this. There are so many other noises out there. There's so many other voices in our culture that are just screaming for our attention. And so I want to challenge you with this. And most of those noises, most of those voices, we hold in our hands. They're on our phones. And so here's the challenge. is to evaluate your screen time, and especially your social media time, versus your word time. God's word. Now, what's great, especially if you have an iPhone, it actually tracks your screen time. So you can go back and you can look and see where your screen time is. Now, in no way am I suggesting that your screen time should equal your word time as far as minutes and hours of the day because a lot of you use your phones for communication, sending emails, text messaging, whatever the case may be. Here's what you need to evaluate. Do you have any word time at all? And is all your time spent in screen time, especially since specifically with social media? So whether it's Twitter, it's Instagram, or Facebook, that's what you're evaluating. How many minutes of the day do you spend on that versus in God's time? Your screen time versus your word time. Because I'm telling you, the social media that you are taking in It impacts you, but it is impotent as far as creating spiritual life for you. Only the Word of God can do that. And so here's my challenge, is to receive God's Word humbly by reading it daily with a heart ready to hear from God. And I want to suggest to you a great tool for that is to download the YouVersion Bible app. How many know what that is? How many have it on your phones already? version Bible app. If you don't have it on your phones, I highly encourage you, as soon as we're done here, is you open up your where you get your apps and download the version Bible app. Pick out a Bible reading plan and start 
receiving God's word. And whether you do it every day or every other day, just on a regular basis, evaluate. What am I being impacted and influenced most by? Is it God's word or social media? And I'm not saying, again, it has to all be equal, but you need to have the word of God in your life, ready to listen to it. It is what grants you new life. It is what will grant you and empower you to grow in that new life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Oh, thank you for the challenging and comforting and yet convicting words of James here. Thank you that they speak to right where we live. Thank you for giving us new life in Christ through your word. And may we continue to receive your word, which is able to save our souls. Give us the grace to be quick to hear your word, slow to argue with your word, and slow to get angry at your word. And instead, may we be teachable listeners first. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.